Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. If you have it, somebody say, yeah. If not, I'll fill you a, give you a few crazy seconds to do that. Man, miracles are breaking out all over our church. And I encourage you, as you experience the miraculous of God, let us know. Because it's going to encourage somebody else. Somebody's going to say like, man, if I can do it for them. Here, by the way, Baltimore, never get jealous over somebody else's miracle. Just believe the word. The word says that God is not a respecter of persons, which means if he's going to do it for them. I got so excited when my dad bought my sister a car when she turned 16. I couldn't drive yet, but I just knew who my dad was. And I said, if he did it for her, Oh, wait till I turn 16. And I didn't forget a day I reminded him. And then he told me I'm not mature enough, so I got to wait till I was 18. But anyway, when I saw how my dad took care of my siblings, oh, I knew that it was the same dad was going to take care of me. So when you see miracles breaking out in somebody else's life, don't get jealous. Just say, hey, we have the same spiritual father. And if he's going to be good to you, he's going to be good to me. And if he's going to bless you, he's going to bless me. If he's going to move in your life, he's going to watch him be faithful to his word. Somebody say amen. amen. Had a long week, rough week, and I was running into a meeting and my phone rang. I picked up the phone and I've never had a call like this. And the Holy Spirit's making me tell you this, but it was super uncomfortable. Somebody called me and literally said, I want to sponsor a business endeavor that you're doing. And you name the price and I'll write the check. And I hadn't even told a lot of people that I was even thinking about this. It was kind of, you know, you're just those side deals and you're kind of just exploring things. And I don't even know how they heard about it. And it literally was just, how about my week got a whole lot better and my, my day turned around. And I said, I'll be right back with you. Uh, don't give me a blank check. I will fill it in. What am I saying? Don't be jealous of me. Join me. Because the same God has supernatural things for all right, we're about to preach about the Bible. Is that all right? And I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time. And I promise after this, the Holy Ghost aerobics are going to be over. But would you mind standing for the reading of God's word? We, 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 we used, anybody you grew up in church where you had to stand every time? Come on now. I just sat down for the song. Now I got to stand back up for the word and all that. But, but here's why I want you to stand in Baltimore County and Columbia. And I'm going to jump ahead in the message and I'll come back to John, uh, Matthew 19. But John 1.1, 1, 1, if they could throw that up. John 1.1 1, 1 says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The reason why we're standing is because we're telling our kneecaps that are aching right now. That this ain't just a book. This is Jesus. The Bible says in the beginning, the word was with God, and the word was God. The President of the United States walked into any room that you're sitting in, you would not be sitting. You would stand, whether you voted for them or not. If royalty walks in, if a dignitary, it's a sign of honor. And we're standing, and I'm setting myself up. We got to do this every week now, right? We'll see. But today we are. God, we honor your word. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 says this. Now behold the lamb. Okay, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He being Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. What Jesus was saying is by calling me good teacher, you're saying that I'm God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. The young man said to him, which ones? And then how we are? Do like, there's 10 of them. Pick one. You can do all the rest. Well, no, he said all of them. Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Don't lie. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me just pause there. This entire conversation Jesus is having is a setup. Notice there's 10 commandments. Jesus only listed five. And the only five that Jesus listed is how you treat another human. He left out the five that deal with how you treat God. Have no other God outside of me. Don't worship idols. Keep the Sabbath. The young man said to him, all of these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? 
I know you're on your feet and your feet hurting, and I got to stand up the whole message, though, so you can stand for about two more minutes. Can I preach this passage for a second? He said, I've done all your rules, and I'm still empty inside. He said, I've been to your growth track, but I'm still missing life. I've gone to your connect group. I'm serving on a dream team. I haven't missed a Sunday in church, and I still feel empty. You know it's possible to be religious and empty inside? He said, I've done all your rules, and I'm still missing out on life. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he was loaded. (laughs) Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful that you are in this room. In what room? You're in Flowers. You're in BWI. You're in Columbia. You're in Baltimore County. You're in rooms watching online and on televisions. God, you're, you're wherever your people are gathered. God, you didn't show up just to laugh and hear a message. You, you showed up to heal broken hearts, to, to download business ideas, to bring peace in the midst of anxiety, to guard our hearts, to guard our... You showed up to speak with us. God, our ears are attuned, our hearts are open, and when you speak, we will obey. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen and amen and amen. You can go ahead and grab your seat at all of our locations. We started a series about three weeks ago called Fine Print. Somebody say Fine Print. And the whole idea, the mindset, or the heart behind this series, the whole goal is to get you to see the Bible for what it truly is. By the way, do you know the word Bible just means book? There's no deep definition to the word Bible. Bible literally just means book. That's why we call it the Holy Bible, because it is the holy book. And it's not just a book. It's not just historical context. It's not just a list of rules and problems and and stories. It is Jesus himself. John chapter 1, verse 14, it said, And the Word became flesh and walked among us and was the Son of God. The only person who is the Son of God is Jesus himself. And really, if you get this, you've gotten the entire series that I need to reverence that book the same way I would reverence Jesus. I need to obey that book the same way that I would obey Jesus. I need to cling to that book the same way that I would cling to Jesus because the word of God is God and everything that God can do, your Bible can do if you know how to work it. I was thinking, you know, I was always starting messages with a thought, a story, or analogy, or whatever it may be. And I was kind of setting up for this message. The thought came back to me of when I used to drive what I would call faith-building cars. Now, now, when I say a faith-building car and used to, it, it, it's been up to about four years ago is when I got a car that was not a faith-building car. But up to that point, my entire driving history, Sonia, I drove a faith-building car. Now, some of y'all, y'all got nice cars and you have no idea what I'm talking about. But the people in this room that are the realists that are currently driving a faith-building car, you already know where I'm going. Pastor, what do you mean by a faith-building car? I'm talking about a car that builds your faith, that, that causes you to trust God more than you do right now. I feel like a car is an inanimate object. How can a car build my faith? Well, the faith-building cars that I drove, every time I put the key in the ignition and turned it, I had to activate my faith. For that engine to turn over and that car to start, I, 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 didn't, I wasn't raised Pentecostal. I didn't know about speaking in tongues until I got some of these cars that I realized praying in English was just not going to do it. I'm, I'm here putting that key in that ignition. Shout out to Boshad. I should have bought a Honda. God, can this thing... I would drive those type of cars that you have to pray every time you turn that ignition because without prayer, that thing was not turning on, particularly when it was cold outside like it is right now. Not only did I have a faith-building car, but because it was so godly and holy, I would anoint that car with oil about a quart every single week because as I anointed it, it would drip out on the... My dad would not let me drive and park the car in his driveway. 
He said, don't be dripping oil on my driveway. Park that thing on the street. Anybody, somebody's like, Pastor, I'm driving a faith-building car right now. Well, drive it, drive it proud. Go ahead, pay off your debt. Get financially free. Come on, to save for your kid's college. Don't worry about what people got to say about your car. You build your faith. And one day, get rid of that car. <laughs> Y'all don't know about you don't know about when it's cold and all the engine, all the steering wheel fluid and leaked out. You turn that thing and the whole neighborhood here. You coming up on that red light and it's raining outside and your tires about as bald as somebody's head. And you're like, Lord, you're gonna have to stop this car because these brakes are not going to do it. Now, you'd think that'd be miserable. You'd think that'd be discouraging. But my car was so festive. Every time I got in my car, it was like Christmas every single day because there were so many Christmas lights that were lighted up on the dashboard. I mean, you turn the car on, it was just light after light after light after light. And it was, you know, a check engine light, ABS light. I know what every light represents because I've seen every single one of them. I'm not even exaggerating. It's not until four years ago when me and my wife, we were doing the whole deal, getting out of debt, don't buy new cars, so you're out of debt and all that. So we were kind of working our plan. It's not until four years ago that I learned that it's not normal for a car to have all the lights on the dash. I just assume everybody drives cars that have lights on the dash. Everybody ignores every single light until the car stops. It's not until I got a little bit of a newer car. It was used, but it was new to me, and there was no lights on, and I was shocked. Like, people live like this. This is... This is a thing. I remember when I first came into the first oil change on that car, and I took it to the mechanic, and that mechanic blew my mind at the dealership. He said, hey, listen to me. If you bring this car in every time the service is due, and if anything breaks on the car, if you would bring it in immediately and let us fix it, he said, this car will last you more than 10 years. I said, you lie. I've never had a car that lasts more than 10 years. You go to auction, pay $1,500, drive it for 18 months, and then that one dies. Call Crazy Ray. He'll come grab it for you, and you go get you another one. I did that for about 12 years. What do you mean a car lasts for 10 years? Here's a thought that crossed my mind. When your car breaks down, you take it to the mechanic. But where do you go when your life breaks down? Everybody knows the check engine light comes on, the ABS light, whatever it may be. You may have a friend who's good with cars, a mechanic that you're familiar with, or you go to, you know where to take a broken car. But where do you take a broken life? I don't know about you, but life is a lot more valuable than a car is. But for so many of us, we take so much better care of our cars than we take care of ourselves. This passage we're reading in Matthew chapter 19, the Bible says that there was this rich, young ruler. You got to understand, this guy was balling. Not, not just according to Matthew, but all the synoptic gospels, they all said the same thing, that this guy was extremely wealthy, he was extremely influential, and he was godly. You know, when you see somebody that has influence and wealth, we can always write, oh, they ratchet. I mean, that's the devil's money. That's the... No, 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 no. He was in church every single Sunday. He was living according to God's plan, but yet he was still empty on the inside. And he didn't know where to go. And there was this young carpenter, only about 31, 32 years old, that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one's going to see the Father except through me. He said, I, I, I have the answer to eternal life. This young ruler said, you know what? I've tried everything else and it did not work. Let me try this man named Jesus. You know, one of the things that we can do is we can learn from other people's mistakes instead of making those same mistakes ourselves. And if this young rich ruler was here at Columbia, he would say, hey, I found money and I did not find purpose. Not that money is bad. There's just no purpose attached to it. He said, I found influence. Everybody wished they were with me. Everybody wanted to be me. I, I found influence and I stood in to find purpose. Can I get in trouble? He said, I found church. I found religion. I found rules. And I still did not find purpose. Just like you bring your car to a mechanic. I'm going to keep it on the bottom shelf. It ain't going to be deep. We got to bring our lives to Jesus. 
Jesus is the mechanic. Somebody say amen. That takes everything wrong and he makes it right. The problem is Jesus ain't here. I read my Bible. He says, I've gone to the Father. I'm sitting on the right hand of the Father. I'm interceding on your behalf. How do I bring my life to someone who is no longer here? Here's where the revelation that God's word is Jesus and Jesus is God's word where we realize this is actually the mechanic that God designed to rectify anything that could be wrong in my... Let me say it this way. Any area of your life that is out of alignment... This is what gets it back on you. Any area of your life where you're not seeing the miracles of God, any area of your life where you've worked for everything that you can see and you can't point to the hand of God, this is your solution. I'm going to give you three quick thoughts. Three quick thoughts. First one is this. Write this down. We must bring our life. We have to bring our life to the Word. If we're going to see God maximize the purpose to call the destiny all that he has for us Baltimore County we have to bring our life to God's word so like I said I grew up driving just faith building cars cars that would stop start four out of five times just hopefully that fifth time was not an interview or an appointment that I needed to be on time because I was not going to get there and I would never take my car to a mechanic just because of one light that was on because I'd be at a mechanic all the time There's only two times I would go to a mechanic. The first time is when those godforsaken emissions tests would come up. Like, who invented an emissions test? Who cares about the planet? It's going to burn anyway. (laughs) Pastor, do you recycle? We're not talking about me right now. But I could never pass an emissions test with the car that I was driving. I would literally go in, and before they could even say you failed, just give me the paper. I know. I'll be back. <laughs> the other time I'll go to a mechanic is when the car would break down, and it would not be able to move. And it's like, all right, it's finally time to get this thing fixed. It's finally time to get a mechanic to look at it. Now, you may not understand this if you don't drive a faith-building car. All my faith-building car drivers understand this. When you drive a faith-building car, you do not go to the dealership. I mean, I feel like they charge you $500 just for walking through the front door. <laughs> haven't even looked at your car yet. Haven't even put a little, little plastic thing on your seat. Listen, if you're going to a place where they put plastic on your seat, <laughs> that ain't the spot. When you drive a faith-building car, you go to a gas station. You go to the little bay around the side. I don't know how you did it, but, but I wouldn't walk in the door and fill out the little slip and all that other good stuff because I had a friend who worked there or somebody I knew or, Pastor, did you pay people cash? It's not about me, guys. We're, we're just all worried about what I did. I would go get the mechanic, be like, man, this isn't working. And because it was lubed under the table, he couldn't. I got three cars ahead of you. And as soon as my manager leaves, then I'll get it up on the bay and I'll look at it. I'll, I'll get you all hooked up. It'll be done by come back eight o'clock tonight or at least seven o'clock in the morning. But I wouldn't go to a dealership because I couldn't afford it. It's amazing to me how when our lives break down, we will go to everybody but Jesus. Isn't it amazing how you take your marriage problems to every single person except the person who created marriage? You go to your cousin whose marriage is just as jacked as yours. Because oftentimes we don't want a solution, we want sympathy. A lot of times we don't want something to change, we just want somebody to commiserate with us. So when I got money problems, I'm going to go find somebody who has a little bit less money problems than me. Man, I don't know what to do. I just, (laughs) this ain't happening to you. This is just me. You you ever file your taxes at the end of the year? And Uncle Sam taxed you on money that you're like, I never made that money. (laughs) I know my W-2 says it came through my account, but I have no recollection of that amount of money ever passing through this account. Somebody's lying on me. I have no idea what you're... here's what Paul said. He said, your problem is you compare yourself by yourself. And you're looking for somebody else that can help you with what's going on. And they're not the one that made your marriage, made your money, or made you in the first place. 
I'm getting ahead of myself, but in hindsight, I realized I spent a lot more money going to a mechanic who did not know what they were doing than I would have spent going to the manufacturer who had seen that problem 15 times already and could have fixed it the first time, not the fifth time. Hear me. We got to make a decision. I am going to bring my life to the word of God and ask God, God, why am I not able to keep my peace when it doesn't seem like there's any drama going on? God, why am I not having the joy in raising my kids and my marriage or my friendships? God, why do I feel so drained? Bring it to the word. One of the reasons I feel like Columbia, we don't bring our lives to the word is because we think the word is outdated. We think the word is irrelevant. We think the word is only for spiritual issues. Well, pastor, if I'm struggling with sin, I'm going to go to the word. But if I'm trying to invest for retirement, why would I go to the word? Pastor, if my child won't stop lying and I'm trying to figure out how to help them have integrity, I'm going to go to the word. But but if I've hit a, a, a roadblock in my career and I don't know what to do next, why would I go to the word? The word doesn't know about that. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God, Baltimore, it's, it's living. He said, here's the problem. We think the Bible was written 2,000 years ago and it's dead. The Bible said, no, 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 the Bible's not dead. The Bible is living and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword. It says it pierces even in the division of soul. Somebody say soul. And spirit. Joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It says the word is even able to unpack what you're thinking. And it's able to unpack the desires of your heart. Verse 13 says this, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. Leave this verse up. Can I scream? Okay, don't scream. (laughs) Yo, I love God's word. The whole premise of this message and this series is that God is the word and the word is God, right? So we're reading Hebrews 4 and it says that the word is living and active like a double-edged sword. We go over to verse 13, watch what it says. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. Come on, where's my English majors at? I hate English, but some of y'all love that stuff, that foolishness. I just love pronouns and adjectives and adverbs. Okay, I didn't, I, I stopped that foolishness as soon as I could, but I learned enough to know that every sentence has a subject. And it's improper grammar to switch the subject mid-sentence or mid-thought. We're in verse 12, and the subject is the word. We get over to verse 13, and now the subject is his. You, did you catch that? Come on, this isn't Bible. This is English class. What, what, what just happened? The word is acknowledging he is the word and the word is him. The two are synonymous. So when we say the word is living and active, we're saying Jesus is living and active. It said his sight for all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Here's what the word is defending itself. The word is saying anything you can go through, I can speak to. There is not an aspect of your life that the word doesn't apply to. Watch this. It says both soul and spirit. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions or your mental health. Anything that you can address or face according to your mental health from as simple as discouragement and being bummed out to as severe as suicide and depression and anxiety, the word is alive and active and strong enough to address it. And then it goes on to say, and spirit. You know, some stuff are not mental. Some stuff are spiritual. It's a demon. (laughs) Y'all know there's spiritual strongholds, right? You, You know, it's wild. It's amazing how when you've been in church long enough, you learn to shout and scream about stuff that you don't even know what you're screaming about. You ever been in a service where they're talking about generational curses? You're going to be the last person in your family to ever deal with this generational stronghold. Divorce stops here. Cancer's... Now, y'all ain't going to shout now because you're just like, ain't going to play me, Pastor. I know how you setting us up. We're screwed. Do you know what a stronghold is? 
It's a demon. <laughs> now, by the way, y'all, sometimes I'm just looking for sympathy. Y'all understand how difficult it is being a preacher. You know how difficult it is to tell people they jacked up and you can't tell them they jacked up, jacked up because they can get offended and not listen to you? So I got to tell people they have a demon, but I can't really tell them they have a demon because if I use the word demon, then they'll, you ain't talking to me, ain't got nothing to do with me. I don't do witchcraft world. I ain't about that. Uh, I mean, I am Pisces, but that ain't, I mean, it is. What you think that is? Grandmama had cancer. My mama had cancer. I have cancer. I'm praying my daughter doesn't have cancer. That's a demon that's taking authority in your family that's not rightfully theirs. My granddaddy got divorced. My daddy got divorced. I'm divorced. I'm praying my children. Do you know the enemy takes authority in our life that is not his to take? And unless we serve him eviction notices, he will stay there. How do I serve him an eviction notice when I get the sword that God has given me and I know how to rightly divide it? I say, no, he says that by his blood, I am healed. I know the truth and my family has been set free. God's word is active for the mental issues that we face, for the spiritual issues that we face. It says that it's going to cut through joints and ligaments. Those are the natural things in life. Not just our physical, natural body, but anything physical that we can face. You know the Bible will tell you how to invest your money? The Bible says if you put all your money for retirement into one company, that you're a fool. Because if that company goes belly up, you're going to have nothing. It says, hey, sprinkle your seed in multiple locations because you never know which will bring a harvest. Somebody say, diversify your portfolio. You think T. Rowe Price and Fidelity came up with that? Before Fidelity knew what Fidelity was, the Word of God said, here's how you multiply that which you have. Don't chase rich, quick schemes. Build little by little saving for the future. That's all God's Word. And then my favorite one, he said it even divides marrow. And I had a little help on this message because I got people on staff that are smarter than me. And Sonia Crosby preached a message on this thing and she's just intelligent, all the other good stuff. So I'm stealing her point. But the marrow is the fatty tissue inside of your bones. Some of y'all chicken wing eaters know about the marrow because you... I just pulled your card. And some of y'all ain't finished eating until you can see the... <laughs> Can you let that poor little chicken bone live? Can you, there's more chicken where that came from. Put that down. But the marrow is the fatty tissue inside of the bone. It's where your blood cells are created. Watch this. Any disease that you can face, it starts in the bone marrow. So when God's word said that it's a double-edged sword, that it divides soul, spirit, joints, and marrow, here's what he's saying. I don't just heal diseases, but I eradicate them before they're ever created in your body. If we understand the word, we're not just praying that God would heal us, we're praying that he would keep us. There's nothing in your life that you can face that the Word of God does not just have a solution to, but an answer that will bring blessings and promotion. Kind of taking this car analogy a little bit further as I was driving different cars that were a little bit nicer. They said, hey, bring it back every 3,000 miles or bring it back every 12,000 miles or bring it back every year or whatever it may be. But as I was thinking about it, I discovered that there are cars that are worth over a million dollars just for one car. And particular group of cars, which I'll give you in a second, but that's not good preaching. I got to set it up or it's not fun. Those type of million dollar cars, they don't go in for oil changes every 3,000 miles or every 10,000 miles. They go in an oil change every 30 minutes. They're race cars. You ever watch a NASCAR race or an Indy race? They will go around that track, maybe 20 laps, 25 laps, and then they're turning into the pits. Why? Because they need new tires. They need new brakes. They need oil change. They need to get up on gas again because those cars are not just for transporting from point A to point B. 
those cars are for maximizing that vehicle's potential for winning the race and for pushing it to the absolute limit. Here's what I've discovered. Christians who just want to go from point A to point B, they only go to the word when they have a problem. But those that are fighting the good fight, those that are in it because I want to win this race, I want to push my life to the limit of what God has for it. I'm not just going to God's word when things get bad. Every single day I'm in God's word trying to figure out what's the little bit. I'm going to lose all my car people. Horsepower. Ask somebody who knows about cars. I'm, what's the little bit of power that I'm missing out on? Because I've never read the book of Habakkuk. Come on now. What, what, what's the power for my business that Zephaniah has? That every time I skip over Zephaniah, I'm skipping over greater effectiveness in my life. Just kind of loser preacher jokes. You know when you get to heaven, you're going to have to look Amos in the face. And Amos going to be like, you read my book? I gave my whole life to write that book. You read my book. Someone's going to be looking at Job, talking about, I thought you were a job. Who? <laughs> Second thing is this, write this down. Thank y'all for laughing at my preacher jokes. I know they're corny. Write this down. Come on, Columbia. I can't just bring my life to the word, but I have to submit to the word. Yeah. Woo. So this rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus. And he said, I've done everything I know how to do, and I'm still empty on the inside. Where do I find life from? Jesus said, hey, obey the commandments. And he said, which ones? He said, all of them. And look at this guy. This little, let's call him a congressman. Hope there's no congressman in the room. No, we love you. Thank you for serving your country. <laughs> this little churchy congressman looks Jesus in the face and said, I have never broken one of the commandments. I've kept them all. Now hear me. It's one thing to lie in church. We all do that. Some of you are lying right now. I'm talking about, you're acting like you want to be here. Busted. You ever see a couple walking into church holding hands? Lie. Y'all was yelling and screaming at each other three minutes ago. But you walk into church. <laughs> Come on now. Some of y'all got your kids sitting right next to you in the auditorium. Even though you and your kids is amazing. Why don't you drop your kid off? Because you popped them right before you came into church and their eyes are all red. And you didn't want to drop the kid off while they were crying. Because you, you, you just sit next to me today. <laughs> they, they like the word, pastor. They like hearing the preaching. That's why they sit next to me. No, y'all crazy. And you had a crazy drive to It's one thing to lie to church folks. It's a different story to look Jesus in the eye and say, I'm perfect. I've never sinned before in my life. But I wonder how many times we look Jesus in the eye and we say, oh, that don't apply to me. Oh, no, nope, I don't got anger in the heart. That ain't me. Nope, I ain't greedy. That's not me. Nope, lust, not my issue. Oh, oh, oh. My wife needs that verse. I'm going to tell her about this one. Come. Tell the truth, shame the devil. You ever been sitting in a message and you were thinking about the exact person that needed to hear that message? You're like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, and then you, you send them a little email or a text. Hey, this really blessed me this week. Maybe you, especially minute 13 and 47 seconds. If you can listen to Sometimes I'm scared to tell my wife something, so I'll just preach it in the message. Be like, babe, did you hear God's word today? <laughs> it's amazing how we'll come to the word and we'll never submit to it. 
will come to the world and will never let it change us. This rich young man said, I have never sinned a day before in my life. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned. No, Pastor, you don't know my grandma. My grandma is an angel. All no offense, Grandma. Grandma's on the Baltimore County campus. I remember my mama told me, said, listen, the grandma you know ain't the mama I knew. I don't know who this little grandma is, but the mama that whooped my tail for 16 years of my life, this is not the same person. The Bible says no matter how sweet, how dainty, how good their lemonade is, all have sinned. And as long as you try to pretend like you have it together, the word will never change you. There's a passage in John chapter 8 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except to come through me. He goes on to say, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He was, do you know most of the contention and issues and fights that Jesus had were with church folks? He's preaching this in front of a bunch of religious people, Pharisees and Sadducees and all these other different type of people. And here's what they had the nerve to tell Jesus. He said, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They looked back at Jesus and said, we are children of Abraham. We are God's chosen people. We have never been in bondage a day in our lives. Now, here's a rhetorical question. I'm going to look for hands raised. Everybody can put your hands up because you all read the opening verse. How many people have read the Bible before? Any of it. I mean, Jesus wept. Come on, wave at you. Everybody, you read the Bible this morning. We're reading it. Okay. Here it is, people that are Jewish looking at Jesus saying, we have never been in bondage a day in our lives. You ever read the Bible? I mean, I'm not trying to be ignorant or shady or whatever, but y'all was pretty much in bondage the whole book. Like by chapter 15 of this book, you're slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And as soon as you got out, you were slaves to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, remember that guy? Moabites, Ammonites, Philistines. That's just the Old Testament. As they're looking Jesus in the face and saying, we have never been in bondage a day in our life. At that exact moment, they were slaves to the Roman Empire. Man, it's so difficult to admit that we don't have it all together. Somebody say, just preach for a second. But who are you pretending for? Who are you performing for? It's amazing how we work so hard to be perceived by people in a certain way, yet we are miserable on the inside. God said, instead of performing, how about you allow my word to perfect you and to make you who I've called you to be. Y'all going to find out your pastor always been crazy. So I'm driving faith building cars, right? When they broke down, I'm not taking them to the dealership. I'm taking them to some bootleg mechanic because if I could afford the dealership, I'd have had a nicer car in the first place. So I take my car in. He said, hey, let me look out. I'll give you a call. He called me uh, three hours later. He said, hey, your alternator's out. And it's going to be $1,300 to change it. Whole car was worth $1,500. Somebody said, that's bad math. <laughs> I said, no, I'll be right there. I'd come down to that shop. Now, some of you men, you build model cars. You change your, your oil in your driveway. That ain't me. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a car guy. I'd come down, say, 13, open up that engine. He'd open the hood. I'm, I have no clue what I'm looking for. You said change the oil I poured into the antifreeze container, but I'm, Ain't no way that's the alternator. It got to be a spark plug. How much is a spark plug? About $500 to change. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's, no, that's my budget. Isn't it amazing? God, fix my marriage. The issue is your pride. If you would humble yourself, you'd be a team and not competitors. Nah, 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 open up that engine. Nah, I promise you don't cook. You <laughs> Did I hit it? Okay, come. 
It's amazing how we didn't make the car. We didn't produce the car. We don't know how to fix the car. But when we bring it to the dealer and he says, here's how you go up by humbling yourself before other people. No, 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 no. That's not the way up. The way up is to have sponsored ad on Instagram and to make sure I have a... No, 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 no. We got to make a decision. I am going to submit to the word. We, 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 uh, we got a relationship series starting next week. And every time we get to relationship series, the, talking about submission and people start staring dirty looks toward the pastor. I don't want to hear about this submission foolishness, pastor. All you people preach about is submission. How about you use the verse when the man got laid a life down? How about that one? <laughs> Can I break submission down for you? Sub, support, knit the mission. Submission simply means I'm support to the mission. Whatever the mission is, it's my job to support it so it can get accomplished. By the way, we ain't in the relationship series, but can I preach to some husbands just for a second? Yeah, our wives are supposed to submit to us, but if we don't give them a mission to support. Just a thought. When I submit to the word, here's what that means. It means I'm saying, God, I'm picking your mission for my life over my mission for my life. You know what I was made for because you made me. So God, show me your ways. Isaiah 55, 8 says this, for my thoughts, this is God speaking, are not your thoughts, nor are your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes you don't read the Bible with a proper level of ignorance. If God was a rapper, that verse would read, you will never, ever, 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 ever be on my level. What? Here's what God is saying. Here's your thoughts. Here's my thoughts. Here's your ways. Here's my ways. Stop arguing with me. And let me teach you how to have life and life more abundantly. Read Isaiah 55 when you go home. It goes on to say, as seed is sown and brings forth a harvest, so my word always accomplishes what it was sent to accomplish. He said, my word never fails. That's God flexing on you. He said, here's my resume, flawless. I've never failed. Let's look at yours. You see, you got to read the Bible with some edge. Y'all be reading it like some pansies. That's not how it was written. It has some edge to it. He said, no, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. You don't. Stop arguing with me and live according to this thing. But we look at the Bible. We say, no, I want it to be open-minded. I made your mind. Why do you think your finite mind can comprehend all of who I am? Oh, it's 2022. The word, no, the word doesn't have to do anything. We have to submit to what is living and active. Last thing, write this down, write this down, write this down. Sean, if you play, it ain't going to make me preach any faster, but go ahead and make us all feel good. Okay. <laughs> Bring this musician up. If we start playing, you know at the award ceremony when the speech is going too long? Da, 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 da. You got to walk out the word. You got to walk it out. You got to bring your life to the word. You have to submit to the word. And then you have to walk out the word, Columbia. Switch on you when he comes to Jesus. He says, I'm empty inside. I'm doing all the church stuff. I've had all the degrees. I've made all the money. And I'm still lacking something. Jesus said, have you obeyed all the rules in the Bible? He said, I have. He didn't. By the way, this wasn't a serious conversation. Jesus was exposing his heart. He said, are you perfect? He said, I am. So he said, okay, let's test that. Let's see who has your heart. Does God have your heart? Or do your degrees have your heart? Ain't nothing wrong with degrees. I got one. I don't use it, but. 
It's amazing how we'll post our degrees in our bio. It's really hard for people to tell we're followers of God by watching us. And so what's your life tied up into what you've accomplished or who your father is? He said, okay, let's test it. Take everything that you have and sell it. Give it to the poor. And come follow me. The Bible says that this man left sad because he had a lot of money. Preaching in a second, but let me just tell you this. If the Bible doesn't make you sad sometimes, you're not reading it properly. If the Bible doesn't rub you the wrong way sometimes, you're not really reading it properly. If you don't find something in Scripture that you disagree with, you are not reading it properly. And your experience here on earth is not defined until you make up in your mind what do I do when I disagree with God's way? Am I going to go with what I want or am I going to walk out what he said? James chapter 1 verse 23, but be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, watch this, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately before brunch, forgets what the whole message was about. I did this to make it practical for you. But he who looks into the perfect word of God, the law of liberty, and, continue, and does it, and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work... This one will be blessed in what he does. Jesus said, hear me. When you look into the Bible, you see who I always created you to be. Oh, let me not twist with your mind. Some of you are someone that God didn't make you to be. You are who anger made you to be. You are who tragedy made you to be. You are who victimization made you to be. You're who culture made you to be. You're not who God made you to be. And he wants to remake you. But it's not until we get into the word with the renewing of our mind that we may be transformed. Then our life will prove the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God according to Romans chapter 12 verse 2. He said, when you look into this word and the word says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Well, fear is not who I am any longer. I'm going to be who the Bible tells me to be. It says, I am ahead and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. Well, by God, I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I'm not going to be timid anymore because the Bible has now told me who I am. And I'm going to walk out who it tells me I am, not who I feel like I am, who my daddy told me I am, or even what my net worth tells me I am. I'm going to walk it out. Psalm 1 1. Blessed is the man who walks it out. It's not counsel with ungodly folks. Doesn't allow unbelievers to give them life advice. And doesn't take wisdom from people who think they're smarter than God. But his delight is in the Bible. Watch this. And it says, on, on his law, he meditates day and night. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you just memorize verses. It means in every area of your life, you're taking the Bible and you're lining up your life. You say, okay, is that an alignment? Okay, is this is an alignment? Is this what God's word promised me? Is this how it's supposed to go? And if it's not an alignment, I'm not adjusting God's word for my reality. I'm adjusting my reality for God's word. It's that a person who lives like that, they shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit. Watch this. In and another translation says, out of season. That means when I live according to the word of God, I can have great abundance in a bad economy. I can have a great marriage when 50% of other people's marriages. It says, and whatever he does shall prosper. Before the, 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 the Greek mythology uh, Midas touch came out, y'all heard about that, uh, everything he touched turned to gold. Before there was Midas, there was the word. 
God said, everything you apply the word to turns to gold. Everything. Stop parenting your kids opposite of the way you wish your parents had stopped doing to you. Start parenting your kids according to the word and watch it bring forth the promises of God. God, we're going to walk according to your word and see every promise come to pass in our lives. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. You haven't just given us Jesus. You've given us the word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You're, you're the one that gives us vision for all that you've called us to do and be. God, in this church, in Union Church, God, we reverence your word. We hold your word in authority over our lives. We're making a decision that we submit to the word. Right where you are, with your eyes closed and your head bowed at every location, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just to give out a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Every Sunday we end the same way and there's always people in the room that if you'd be honest with yourself, you'd say, Pastor, it's not the word that I've never submitted to. It's Jesus himself. Maybe you're like me. You grew up in church. You try to obey all the Ten Commandments. You know all the rules. You, your relationship with God just doesn't go past rules. You've never given him control of your life. Or maybe you just grew up outside of church and didn't even know that there was a God who loved you, but he does and he wants you to be a part of his family. Wherever you find yourself, if you say, Pastor, I can't say that Jesus is the center of my life. I can't say that I belong to him, but I want to. You, you can make that decision right now. It's as simple as a prayer and as you pray that prayer, it's a cry of your heart and God responds in this moment. If that's you, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, Come on, every single person out of encouragement of those that are making the greatest decision ever. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and you are life. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all my sin, all my mistakes can be erased. Today, I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord be my savior and use me for your glory in Jesus name amen and amen and amen come on can you celebrate for every single person